Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to get there. Um, we have been talking about where to find God for the last several months, I guess, now. And uh, so I want to share something with you this morning as an illustration. Now, I understand that every illustration breaks down at some point. Otherwise, it wouldn't be an illustration. Illustration means it's like this. It's not this, but it's like this. And so this morning, I want to give you an illustration (coughs) of where God is and what he's asked of us and how to find him, okay? So in order to do that, I need some volunteers. Caleb, come here. Caleb's going to volunteer for me this morning. Now watch, see? He raised his hand. All right. Why don't you stand right here? I need some more volunteers, Kennedy. She knew it. She could see it on her face. She said, he's going to pick me. All right, come here. I want you to stand over here next to Caleb. And I need another volunteer, Olivia. Come over here and stand next to Caleb. Uh, no, to Kennedy, next to Kennedy. All right? Now then, we learned that in the Old Testament, God chose to meet first in a tabernacle in a tent, and that tent was made up of a courtyard, a holy place, and the holy of holies. How's that? Is that cool? All right. (laughs) The courtyard was the biggest part of this building or of this tent. When Solomon built his temple, there was the courtyard, there was the Holy of Holies, and there was the Holy, no, I'm sorry, there was the Holy Place, excuse me, didn't mean to get, and there was the Holy of Holies. Do you remember what God said concerning this place? We covered a bunch of them. Do you remember anything about what God said about this place? All right, let me help you. He said, This is where I'm going to be, and if you want to meet me, you come here. This is where my name will be. This is where my glory will be. And to be specific, it was right here. This room was the smallest room of the two. This really wasn't a room. This was a courtyard. But there was the holy place, which was basically 10 by 20, And there was the Holy of Holies, which was 10 by 10. In the holy place, there was a candlestick, a table, and some bread. In the holy place, there was no artificial light whatsoever in the Holy of Holies because it didn't need it. God was there. He was the light that was there. And what he said specifically was, this is the place I will meet you. It is the place I will fellowship with you. It is the place you will get to know me. It is the place I will get to know you. It is the place where we will become one and we will have intimacy. All right? So there was the 
tabernacle, and then there was the temple. Now, interesting enough, the only one that could go in here was the high priest. He was selected out of the bunch. Now, later on, it got corrupt, and he could pay the Caesar, and he could get appointed to be the high priest. But the only one that can go in here was the high priest, and the only one, the only time he could go in there is once a year. Nobody else could go, but he would go into this place. Now, I want you to picture this with me, all right? This is the place where God's at. If I want to meet God, where do I have to go? I have to go in there. Now, I want you to imagine with me that I am the high priest. I've been selected out of all of these priests. And it's that time of the year. We've selected the lamb. We've got the lamb that I'm going to take through the courtyard, through the holy of ho- holy place, into the holy of holies, and I'm going to make that sacrifice there. I have the proper credentials. I'm of the tribe of Levi. Nobody, no other person of any other tribe could go in there. It had to be the tribe of Levi. I've gone through this intricate, Washing and cleansing. You can't imagine how intricate it was and how detailed it was. Because I had to be clean to be able to go into the presence of God. All right. Now, imagine with you will, I got the lamb. All right? And we're going. And we go through the courtyard. Boy, the courtyard is where everybody sees everything. Even Gentiles could go in the courtyard. There was an altar there, but it was a brass altar, and that's another story. And everything I'm going to tell you is much more intricate and detailed than I'm giving you, but I'm just giving you the highlights to make the point of what I want to share today. So here I am with the priest, the high priest. I've got the lamb. I come into the courtyard. I come into the gate. I walk through the courtyard. I come to the Holy of Holies. I walk through the whole, and all of a sudden, somebody runs up to me and says, Your chariot is filthy. Your chariot is just dirty. There's Dixie cups in it. There's all kinds of stuff inside your chariot. It is filthy, and you need to come right now and clean it. As a matter of fact, if you don't come, the neighbors are going to think a whole lot less of you because you know good high priests have clean chariots. And what you need to do is you need to just put a break on this and leave it and come with me so we wash your chariot. I'm three steps away from the Holy of Holies. Now, here's my question. You think I'd go? Not if I value my life. Not if I value what's in here. There came that point that he had to say concerning everything else, everything that was going on in the courtyard. And there was some good stuff going in the courtyard. There was some questionable stuff going in the courtyard. The courtyard is where Jesus ran the money changers out. This is where they were. Now, the money changers themselves weren't illegitimate. You had to buy a sacrifice, and it took place. There was a legitimate place to buy sacrifice in the courtyard. They were overcharging. But there was a lot of activity, a lot of good stuff going on here. There was a lot of good stuff that would be going on here, just one sacrifice after another. But cleaning a chariot was not nearly as important as coming here into the presence of God. And your response would be, not now. Not going to do it now. 
Now, we talked about that the temple was destroyed. We talked about the period of time where there was no revelation from God. And then Jesus shows up. He comes, and now this is where you meet God in Jesus. He said, if you destroy this temple, I'll raise this temple up in three days, talking about himself being the temple of God. He comes, they kill him, he dies on the cross, he resurrects, he ascends to the Father, seats at the right hand of the Father, and sends the Holy Spirit. He comes back as a living spirit inside of me. Right? Now, he still has a temple. It's just not made with hands. It is a flesh and blood temple. And now, this temple is a body, a soul, and a spirit. That's what makes us up. A body is this external. It's, It's the thing that allows me to function in this environment. It's the thing that lets me sense daylight, sense smell, taste, to hear, to see. It's what allows me to, it, somebody said it's like an earth suit. It lets me function in this environment. Okay? That's this. This right here is my soul. That's my mind, my emotion, and my will. That's who I am. That's me. This is my spirit. This is the capacity within me to know God. Now, before I met the Lord, this was dead. Okay, die. (laughs) It was dead in the sense that it was unresponsive to God. But whenever I became a believer, the Spirit of God came to live in me, the same Spirit that lived in the Holy of Holies, that lived in the tabernacle, that lived in the temple, now lives, that lived in Jesus, now lives in me. Right now, here's the courtyard. Here's the outer. This is the world that senses everything here. Some people, some Christians, want to live out here, where all the stuff takes place. We think all the activity takes place. As a matter of fact, their their posture is sometimes, "Hey, God, come out here." Come out here. I want to see you. I want to taste you. I want to smell you. I want to hear you. I want to touch you. You come out here and come on my terms and do what I want you to do. You think he'll come? He's not coming because he's God. Now, Scripture says that the flesh wars against the spirit. All right, you guys face each other. You stay right here. Okay. These guys are warring against each other. They fight each other. The spirit resists the flesh. The flesh, I mean, the, the flesh, flesh, who are you? The flesh resists the spirit. The spirit resists the flesh. They're at odds with one another. This, in this realm, I cannot know the God that lives in this realm. Jesus has already been an expression of God in that realm. Now he says he lives here. And now they war against one another. Now, anytime there's a battle, there's always spoils. That's what the winner gets. What do you think the spirit, the the flesh and the spirit are warring for? Power. 
the soul. They are warring for allegiance from the soul. If I'm a believer, the soul has already been claimed. The stake has been made. I belong to Christ. Now it's a matter of who am I going to serve? Where is my allegiance going? And the flesh is always offering up an alternative. Come out here and see me. Come out here and do this. And offering distractions to keep me from coming to meet the Lord. But here's the kicker. In the very same way that God said in the tabernacle, in the temple, this is where I'll meet you. This is where I'll fellowship with you. God is still saying to us today, this is where I'm going to meet you. I don't meet you out here. I meet you here. I'm going to meet you in your spirit. And what the woman says, where do you guys worship? He said, we worship in spirit and truth. This is where we worship. This is where we meet God. This is where he experienced him. How do you get there? How do you get there? Well, it's not by how we feel, what we sense, what we taste. It's not even by how we feel. See, for so long, my soul was under the control of the enemy. And it responded to the enemy. That control has been broken. And now I belong to Christ. I have been purchased by him. His heart for me is for me to yield to him. Because he and his will is the absolute very best for my life. Now, I don't know what you were taught about the Christian life. I don't know what the hook was. I don't know what it was that somebody said to you that says, man, if you accept Jesus, all your problems are going to be solved. If you accept Jesus, you're not going to have any more troubles. If you accept Jesus, you're going to be able to get anything you want. But I want you to understand that is a misconception of what this thing is all about. Here's what happens. This right here is now the dwelling place. This is my introduction to the kingdom of God. Because the king of the kingdom has come to take up residence in my heart. And his heart is to express his will because he knows his will is better than anything else in the universe. It's better for me. He wants me to choose what he wants and not choose what my senses tell me, or even what my emotions who have been tainted. The Spirit of God can affect my emotions. But my emotions don't change the Spirit of God. My emotions are not the Spirit of God. They respond to the Spirit of God. They can respond, or they can respond to all this out here. Now, here's where all that activity goes on. See, you can go out here and be extremely religiously active externally and never touch God. You can lift your hands. You can dance. You can sing. You can pray. You can pray in tongues. You can do all of that stuff and never touch the Spirit of God. It can take place out here if it originates out here where everybody can see it out here. God says, I want you to yield to me because this is where life is at. All right, is that making sense? Thank you, guys. Thank you for cooperating and volunteering. The body is where I live. It's an earth suit. It makes it possible to interact with my environment. The soul is made up of my mind, emotion, and will. It's who I am. Man, when God breathed into Adam, 
he says what? And man became a living soul. Spirit is where God's will. It's my means of knowing God. It's the answer to the question the disciples asked when they said, where do you make your abode? And he said, come and see. Well, you want to know where God's at? God's response is, come and see. I'm in the spirit. I'm in your spirit. That's where I live. The spirit, it's where he abides. It's where he reveals himself. It's where he expresses the thoughts of God. It is where he reveals the Son. There he is known. It's a place of fellowship. It's a place of oneness. It's not by emotions or my mind or by willfulness. It is only by revelation of the Spirit. And here's the kicker. Is the baby distracting you? <laughs> Thank you, guys. She don't get excited till I get up here. You watch her all the rest of the time, she's just quiet. Boy, I get up here and she tanks up. And it's time for her to eat, probably. So here's the kicker about it. It is completely unseen. And that's what gets us. I can't see it. I can't touch it. I can't taste it. Here's what I want you to get today. If we're going to fellowship with God, who is spirit and invisible, we must learn to be comfortable with the unseen world. We cannot measure or assess God and his presence by our outward senses or by our emotions, but only through faith. We can't measure success by a seen measurement. And we are, we are so caught up in that. Well, we want to see, we want to see, listen, I want to see any manifestation physically that God wants to give us. But I don't think I'm so spiritually dead that I'm willing to just take any physical manifestation and label it as God. And that easily happens. Because we've not learned how to touch the Spirit of God and become familiar with Him. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 9. Let's start in 6. But we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. Wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of the age understood. If they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord. You know why they didn't understand it? They didn't understand it because they were looking for a particular manifestation. And they were saying, this physically, literally, is how God has to come. And their image was basically, he's coming in on a white horse with a sword drawn with eyes of fire, and he's going to level the Romans and free us. 
and he came in on a donkey, and they missed it completely. That's why they missed it. Look what he says. But just as this is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Where is it? If God has prepared all of this stuff for us and it's not in my eyes, it's not in my ears, and it's not in my mind, and it's not in my re- Where is it? Verse 10. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. For who among, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man, except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. How am I going to know what God wants? Not by what I can see, not by what I can hear, taste, touch, not by what I can feel, not by what my mind can figure out. The only way I will know the thoughts of God is to know the Spirit. And only then, by revelation, as the Spirit of God reveals to me the heart and the will and the mind of the Father. It's essential that we understand that it's in the Spirit. Now, we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. God wants us to know all this that he's given us. He wants us to experience that, but it's not known by our senses. It's not known by what we can see. It's not known by what we can assess with our mind and with our emotions which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, abiding spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. And a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. The man that's locked into that outer rim, the man that's locked into his senses, that's locked into his emotion, cannot grasp the things of God because they're discerned. They are hidden from him, literally. But he who is spiritual, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit for their foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, that he is himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? Who? Who knows the mind of the Lord to say to him, do this, God, do that, God, here's what you're supposed to do, here's what you want to do? No one. But he says, we have been given the mind of Christ. We've given the mind of Christ so we can know the heart of God. We're given the mind of Christ so that we can know the thoughts of God, so that we can know the nature of God, so that we can know the will of God, so that we can understand that. Christ cannot be known by our senses, by our emotions, or our mind, but only revelation of the Spirit. We cannot determine measurable success in our time with God by any outward standard. Listen to that again. We cannot determine the, any measurable success with our time by, in our time with God by any outward standard. And we all will struggle with that. Because we so 
when we get ready to go to the Father, when we're ready to get going to presence, we typically have an expectation, expectation of what the time's going to be like, expectation of what we're going to get out of that. And if we don't get that, if we can't measure it, then we go away thinking this time with God was wasted. And when that happens, we typically just quit or we go back to relying on our own strength and our own ability to get something done. Have you ever prayed for something, gone into the presence of God, absolutely certain you knew what was supposed to happen, and you prayed firmly, and you believed God, and you trusted God for what you brought into his presence, and it didn't happen. And how many of us were disappointed? How many of us have forsaken the faith? All of us have been in that situation. Now, how many of us, after we finally pitched our little fit and we went through whatever it was, we turned around and we said, wow, I'm so glad God didn't give me what I asked for. Because what he gave me was so much better than what he asked. We can't measure it in the scene. We can't measure it by his senses. This is a walk where we must trust his word that even though we can't measure success by our standard, the time with him is never wasted. When he says he is here and will never leave us or forsake us, We must trust his word without any sensual confirmation. How many times have we used this phrase, I just didn't feel God. That puts God a slave to our emotions. You want to feel me? I have to let you know I'm here. I want you to feel me. it's It's kind of a little tingle, you know. You get this thing going. What do you do when you don't get it? We must come to trust the unseen, that when God said, I am here, and I will stay here, that he really is here. When he says, those who wait upon the Lord will gain new strength, they will mount up with wings like eagles, they will run and not get tired, they will walk and not become weary, I must trust that he will accomplish that in me without giving me a heads up. And I don't quit. When he says that if you behold me, when you behold me, I change you into my image. I change you into glory. Can I trust that he'll do that? One of the biggest temptations we have, one of the biggest obstructions we have is we just get bored. It's just, it's just, it just ain't happening. Let me explain something to you. Boredom does not come from the Spirit of God. It is not a fruit of the Spirit. It is not a gift of the Spirit. 
boredom comes because our flesh doesn't get the outside stimulus we think we need to stay content and interested. It is all an external stimulus. God's spirit is unfathomable. You can't reach the depths of it. You can't discover all of it. It is the most exciting thing you will ever touch is God's spirit because you can never contain, you will never know everything there is about it. Boredom is a result of living the life in a Christian, in a Christ, living a Christian life in an outward posture and measuring God's move and his work in an outward demonstration. He's just not doing it for me. That's not the spirit of God. The spirit of God is infinite. Everything I see is finite. Everything I see is temporary. What I can't see is eternal. What I can't see is reality. And if we're going to learn to find the Lord, if we're going to learn to seek his face, we must be deliberate and persistent because we may not get anything the first time we go. How are you going to measure that time? Don't trust God. Hey God, I, I didn't can't measure anything that I got. But I'm gonna trust that you said if I'd wait on you, I would have my strength renewed. So I'm coming back because I need more strength. I'm coming back because I need more patience. I'm coming back. Even though I can't measure whether I come or not, I'm gonna trust you. And I'm gonna look to the unseen. and trust what I can't see because it doesn't stack up to what I see. Well, that, that is a paradigm shift. You go look in Hebrews 11, that great chapter on faith. Every one of those people in Hebrews 11 acted from the unseen. All they had was the invisible word of God. I saw something this week. It says, Noah was a conspiracy theorist until it started raining. You go back and look at Noah. God said to Noah, get ready, and there was nothing going on. Nothing happening. For all those years, he spent working on that ark. Nothing nothing he could measure. <clears throat> Only thing that happened is people thought he was stupider. That's a word. They mocked him. They made fun of him. What did he have? He had the invisible. He had the invisible presence of God. He had the word of God. and He was willing to stand on that even when nothing else measured up to it. Now, we're going to make sure you get those questions this week. I'll email them to everybody, okay? Take time and meditate on them. Listen, don't make your presence with the time in your presence with God a shopping list. We, we try to get in the presence of God with this description of what's going on in our life when he already knows. Use it as a time of fellowship. 
It's time to say, Lord, what do you say about this situation? And be still and listen to him. Look for the unseen. Okay? Father, we just ask you to work a work in our heart that we are more confident of you and your presence, even though we can't see you or taste you or touch you, smell you or feel you, and certainly even though we can't understand you. We thank you that you're here in us. And we ask during this next week or two that you would teach us how to touch you, how to enter into your presence, how to know you personally, develop fellowship with you. Anything you want to expose in us that hinders us from doing that, we ask you to do that, knowing you're not angry at us, but that you want what's best for us. So we just praise you today and bless you for who you are. Amen. All right. Any questions?